Thanks for listening to our podcast. How's this for ironic? Last month's winner of our Peterson Toyota Post of the Month on our message boards also just so happened to buy a new Jeep from Peterson recently. So not only does he have a sweet new ride, but he has some sweet new Ram swag to adorn it with. Congrats, Dow Ram. Thank you for supporting RamNation.com, and especially thank you for supporting Peterson Toyota. They are a great Ram Nation partner. They've been proudly serving the Fort Collins, Windsor, Loveland, and surrounding areas since 1968. They are a family-owned and operated business. They're committed to making the car buying and service experience smooth and stress-free with friendly, accommodating staff in all departments. When you purchase a vehicle from Peterson, your exceptional experience starts with Toyota Care, a no-cost maintenance plan with 24-hour roadside assistance. And when it's time for factory-scheduled maintenance or repairs, Peterson's express service ensures you're in and out quickly and that your car is running optimally. If you are in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota a first shot of your business. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Cantalamessa. I'm joined by Michael Rowe. We'll be talking a little CSU football and basketball, even a little volleyball. Uh, and then uh, we pre-recorded an interview with Joe Parker today, earlier today, our our monthly conversation with him, which was really good. And we'll share that after Mike and I talk for a little bit. But I guess Mike wanted to start with this because the news just came out this afternoon and unfortunately it came out after I had recorded with Joe. So I didn't have the chance to talk with him about it. But Tom Hilbert, the longtime volleyball coach, has announced that he will retire after this season. This is his 26th year at CSU, his 35th overall as a collegiate head coach. You know, and in my opinion, one of the, he's what he's, he is the the goat at CSU. What he's done for CSU is right up there with Sonny Lubick as far as his meaning to the university, except he did it for way longer and he accomplished even more in his sport. You know, in 23 years in the Mount West, he earned 12 coach of the year awards. He turned the Rams into a perennial top 25 team. And the most amazing thing to me is his teams qualified for the NCAA tournament 24 times during his tenure at CSU and he had a 25 consecutive uh, string of postseasons, reaching the postseason dating back to 1995. That's seventh nationally. Um, it includes sweet uh, seven, I think sweet 16 appearances and 15 first round victories. A few other notes I want to point out and I'll let you chime in here, but he, he owns an 80% winning percentage in his career at CSU, which is ridiculous. 86% winning percentage in conference play. Uh, since coming to Fort Collins in 97, he entered the season ranked ninth among active Division I head coaches, 14th all-time for winning percentage, which is 780, uh, 7th for total wins, 792 coming into the season. Uh, and of those coaches that are ranked in the top 20 for wins, he's coached the second fewest total matches. So he's won more in fewer matches. So um, that the, the, here, here's the other thing that, that shows you how far above he is in the annals of CSU coaching lore. It was 12 years ago, he became the winningest coach in any sport in CSU history when they beat UNLV in 2010. That was his 353rd win in Fort Collins. It surpassed men's basketball coach Jim Williams, who, who won 352 victories in his career. So I basically think that's, a, that's phenomenal. He's never had any issues, scandals, never any issues with rule bending. Um, I, I feel he's a great person to hang out with. He loved CSU, loved his job. He did it incredibly well. So uh, this was kind of maybe maybe the right time. He's been here forever, but 
I, it's it's kind of surreal that he's finally hanging him up. I mean, you just you just listed his his accomplishments. To me, he's he's by far, and we all love Sonny. He's by far the best coach in CSU history. What what he has done navigating a, a women's sport, but a women's sport in a in a non autonomous <laughs> conference and having success success there, but also not shying away. I mean, he will play the big name teams, Penn State coming in here, Nebraska coming in here, knocking off Nebraska. You look at the non-conference schedule even this year, you know, uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, Georgia Tech, you know, they came in and was like, you know, this is one of the Georgia Tech's coach was like, this is literally one of the best environments I have ever been better than any any of the teams in the ACC you know this is a program (laughs) you know he built that he built that record facing everybody playing everybody never back down some big wins uh you know that that sweet 16 the I want to say is the last sweet 16 run 2014 when we beat CU in in the uh in the round of 32 to make it to that sweet 16 and beat him in five uh, in Moby. He's done a lot. He's done a lot for the program. Uh, did, has done a lot for the athletic department in general. I mean, he's always been somebody that has helped out wherever he's needed. You, you see in his face, he's always, he's always at, you know, football games, always at basketball on both sides. You see him everywhere in, in Fort Collins. And I mean, he, he truly is, this is a guy that went to, went to OU and was then Idaho. He is CSU, you know, through and through, even though he didn't go to school here, he is, he is a Ram. He's, he's everything that, that CSU represents, you know, a hard worker that said, I, th- I thought it was time for whatever reason last week, you know, CSU had two very, very bad matches got swept by Nevada and a not good team on Saturday. Uh, I, I want to say it's Friday or Thursday on the first set against San Jose state. And then was, they weren't even competitive the, the, the next three losing three, one. And for whatever reason, it just, you know, I was seeing that it, to me, it just felt kind of like the end of Sonny's tenure when you just kind of knew it was over. And I got that feeling last week, uh, almost said something on the board and I didn't. So today wasn't surprising to me. I really thought this was going to happen three years ago when his daughter, Miles, started school at, at Western State University in Gunnison, where she was doing track and volleyball. I thought he was going to retire then. I was kind of shocked that he came back and was kind of shocked that he lasted these next three years since then. So today, today wasn't. Today's a good day to celebrate Coach Hilbert. I think that this is going to be a big, important hire for Joe Parker. Um, not sure that they have an incumbent assistant on staff who would be ready for the job. Emily Cohen is the associate head coach. She's in her seventh year with the Rams. She handles a large portion of the team's recruiting. She has never been a head coach before. Um, she came from Oregon State where she started her career as a volunteer assistant, worked there a few years, uh, and then came over to CSU. Um but considering the history and where this program is, I imagine the job will draw a lot of interest from outside really quality candidates. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if the coach 36 miles down the road called about the position. I, you know, CU's coach 
he was he was Tom's top assistant for six seven years uh, before he left to to DU to be the the head coach there for four years and then and then he got the CU job and and has really done a great job turning that program around. I mean, there's been some great battles between CU and CSU after CSU absolutely dominated them for 30 years. I think it had been like since the 80s since since CU had actually won a match against CSU and then. Over the last few years, it's it's been it's been tight, winning back and forth. So I wouldn't be shocked if he if he calls if if he has interest. But I know that Tom has four four other former assistants that are Division One head coaches. So Jesse Mahoney's been there uh, in Boulder for seven years, um, and I think you off air mentioned the coach at UNC. She's be- not she's not part of Tom's uh, coaching tree. And she has been at, at UNC for a long time, but she's really she's kind of taken that program as, as far as it could go. And, 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 you know, UNC smoked us at the beginning of the season. Um, they're a very senior heavy class, so. It could be a possibility where she's ready to, for that next challenge. The, the thing with this is. I mean, we are a good program and we're a well-funded program. So I think there's going to be a, a lot of interest and a lot of interest from, from head coaches uh, uh, across the U S as opposed to like where, you know, we've seen in, in, in some of the other sports where we go after and a, a, an unknown coach, a unknown head coach or, or an assistant at a, at a bigger program to come in to take over. I think we're, we're going to get the interest of like well-established head coaches. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. We'll miss Tom. Certainly. Um, hopefully the Rams can make a run here to finish the regular season strong, win out, and then host the Mountain West tournament over Thanksgiving uh, and hopefully uh, win that, go to the NCAA tournament one more time and uh, finish out his his tenure in style. So that would be good, but uh, big news out of well, Fort Collins today. Well, right now we're definitely, we're, we're a bubble team. All right. Uh, so they do re- rely on the RPI uh, at the, for volleyball. And we are in that range of getting in. However, I mean, last week hurt losing those two, we got to finish up strong. And, you know, as opposed to last year, the, the Mountain West is stronger this year as opposed to last year when we won the Mountain West uh, regular season um, title, but then lost in the uh, lost in the tournament where if we don't win that tournament, uh, if we don't win the tournament, because we're not, I don't think we're going to win the, uh, the, the regular season title, but if we make a deep run and we get to that championship game, um, I can see us getting in with a, uh, and <laughs> with Tom announcing that announcing his retirement, Maybe the NCAA committee does a favor, you know, and 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 gets us gets us in. I hope so because he uh, he deserves deserves a little leeway. Um, if they are on the fence, it'd be nice to get that call. And um, regardless, uh, it's been a heck of a career for for Coach Hilbert. Let's uh, move on to football here because quite a bit of quite a bit to talk about the Is loss. <laughs> yeah, well, bud, <laughs> you saw what I saw on Saturday night. I guess I'll start with the good. First of all, you know, obviously the Rams lost 28-16 at San Jose State, which I, th- you know, I it was frustrating because we had chances to win that game. And if you don't 
implode and have so many self-inflicted wounds, you you really have a chance to win that game. And, um, but I thought, first of all, I I don't know about you, but I, I think the greatest thing about the, the most positive thing I can say about this team is they play hard. They care. They don't quit. They're buying in. The guys that are still here are buying in. That's encouraging to me. You've expunged all the guys that didn't buy in. You know, guys that may, yes, everybody wants to win, but maybe they just weren't doing everything that it took to win. Not, it wasn't a passion for them. I think these guys right now are playing their guts out. We just are a little undermanned. I think these guys have stayed committed to our university. They're busting their asses. So while we're all disappointed and even angry with uh, the results, you know, th- I think these guys deserve our respect. But, you know, I overall saw some improvement. It was a balanced offense. Had over 400 yards of offense. We moved the ball all game. Um, obviously, the red zone performance was garbage. <laughs> More on that in a bit. But uh, I thought Clay was up and down, but he made some big-time throws. Torrey Horton, once again, showed that he's all-Mount West guy, 100%. He's he's made some amazing catches. He shows he's going to be a, have a great chance in the NFL. Um, another great game by him. Justice Ross Simmons continues to impress as a true freshman. Avery, Mor- Avery Morrow had another big game. He ripped off that long touchdown run just three plays into the game. I thought that was going to be a sign of a maybe a victory. Um, he had, went over 100 yards again. Mo Kamara, just a beast. The guy is a beast. He's one of the best defensive linemen we've had in a long time. Uh, and then the, def- the defensive line as a whole, a lot of pressure on Siobhan Cordero, although he kind of hurt us in the second half. His mobility helped him escape some sacks. Uh, but and then Aiden Hector, what an interception. It was just ridiculous the way he made that play on the ball. Um, really athletic play. Unfortunately, proceeded to take his helmet off and celebrate and get a 15-yard penalty. Just it was like just typical of what's going on this year with football. But I, I thought that there was a lot, a lot of good. We'll go over the bad here in just a minute. But what what was some of the good you saw? Um, I mean, you you mentioned everybody by name. CJ, uh, our boy Onyechi. Dude, his motor was flying that yep. game, and uh, I mean, he was he was putting on a ton of pressure, had a, uh, caused a lot of hurries. <clears throat> the defense is just so good. I, this is one of the best defenses I've seen CSU have in a long time, in a very long time. It just it sucks for them because they're on the field for so long. Okay, and even though I think we have the time of possession. It's, it's one of those where we might have a long drive sur- surrounded by two or three, three and outs on both sides. So even though it looks like, yeah, you know, we had more time of possession, the defense wasn't really on there. They were on there <laughs> because, I mean, they, they, they're having to run out there every three plays, every four plays, and having to make stops. I mean, it's, it's not only are they tired physically, but they're tired mentally, like, and they're still producing. Freddie Banks needs to be given all of CSU right now. <laughs> you know, lock him up. We need a president. Put him as president as well. Uh, dude is is by far the best coach on our staff. And I've been saying this for the last few weeks. He's by far our best coach. Not even close. Anybody else. He's just doing a phenomenal job. You know, and you look and, and we've had – what Ty Francis left and who's the D lineman he left and everyone's like, Oh, you know, we got all these people quitting dude. He has just plugged in and he, and he, 
has such a great rotation and he's building depth, you know, and it's, I, I love what I'm seeing on the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball, you know, Torrey Horton's the freaking stud, a stud. I, we haven't, you know, we've, we've had, had a great run of receivers. You know, he, he, he to me, he reminds me kind of like D hall back on the 97 team. Like he just, he's quick, he's fast. And like, he runs good routes and he, and he just makes that fucking that pass interference when he's getting dragged down and he just reaches out one handed yeah. and, and hauls that in. He's impressing. Morrow's impressing. Um, I wish they would do. You watch whenever when we're trying to do misdirection with them or, or timing uh, with with our with our guards pulling. He can't. He doesn't do it. But when you give him that quick hitter, I mean, you saw it that first that first uh, play from uh, that he got fifty six yards touchdown. All those games where he was ripping off nine ten yards, they 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 were literally just quick hit the hole. He finds it, and how many times did he get taken down and his knees about an inch off? And he's strong enough that he doesn't go down. He and he, and he has that balance that he popped up and then busted six, seven, eight, nine more yards. Like what I'm seeing from him, you already you already talked about Ross Simmons. Like we got a lot. We got a lot of positives on this team. And Clay, Clay's playing like a freshman. And I and I talked about this in the spring, talked about it early. The games, the games start too fast for him. He's missing those reads, uh, a few of those reads. He's holding on too long, but it starts slowing down. And you're seeing, you're seeing him, you know, that that drive right before halftime was, I mean, was great. I think he's gonna be special. You can say what you want about holding on to the ball, and he does hold on to the ball too long, and, he, and, and he's a little slow on his reads. If we have an, if we have any kind of offensive line, that's not a big deal at all, and right. he's picking apart our defenses. But he doesn't have that time where you look at some of the other, you know, young quarterbacks across the nation. They have a line to protect to protect that kid, you know. So. I like what I'm seeing. You know, I like what I saw from Stratton too. Gosh, I, Stratton comes in first play, boom, 40 yard touchdown. Got a good arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of positives in this program. It's been interesting to watch them really use this redshirt rule to get all three of the backups a little bit of time. And so we're, we might see, we might be see Stratton again this Saturday if Clay's not cleared from his concussion. So we'll talk more about that. But, you know, unfortunately, there was a lot of bad in this game. <laughs> First and foremost, the penalties are embarrassing. When you watch this game, like, it's almost like I'm, I'm embarrassed for our university. It is, it is that bad. And you hear these announcers every week just like, oh, my God, what is going on here? And it's it's – it's embarrassing. You commit 13 penalties for 101 yards. That doesn't even account for numerous penalties that were declined. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh. so we, we now average eight penalties per game, 70 plus yards of penalties per game. It ranks 119th out of 131 FBS teams. What I don't understand is how this has not gotten better. You know, week after week after week, this, we keep racking up penalties. It's not encouraging. And, and, it, it, to me, it's inexcusable, no matter how young you are. Yes, it's on the players, 
but it's very concerning to me that our coaches have been unable to get it cleaned up, um, particularly when you look at the seven pre-snap penalties that we had in this game, including four for too many men on in the backfield. You've got guys not lining, getting lined up right. And, and, <laughs> and there were a couple of times I paused. I was pausing, trying to look at what the refs were seeing. And I, I had a hard time telling who they were calling it on. I believe they were calling it on the tackles being a, a lined up as a little bit off the line, but regardless, it's up to, it's up to them that you got to figure out, you got to say to yourself after one or two times, like, all right, what are they calling on? Let me just double check and make sure I'm in the right spot. If you're a coach, if you're the old line coach, why are you not reaming their freaking ass and saying, look, gentlemen, this should not happen a single more time when you were on the line, double check and make sure that you are in the right spot. I mean, this is, um, I, I understand that you could chalk this up to guys being young and, you know, we got a lot of guys shuffling in and out. You have a red shirt walk or a, a true freshman walk on at center t- at Saturday night. But I mean, some of this stuff is very re- remedial. That's stuff that you learn when you're playing peewee, you know, Pop Warner football. It's, it's crazy. Is our IQ just that bad? Our football IQ is just, it's, it's astonishing that this happens. Well, you know, we, we blame Bobo for it. Yep. We're like, you know, he, he, he doesn't have, he has his head in the, in the play sheet. You know, he's not. So we need a disciplinarian. Dazio comes in. Then we're like, oh, you know, everyone just hates Dazio. No one's listening to him. So we blame Adazio. Now Norvell's coming in and we're like, oh, you know, he's a player's coach. Everybody loves him. And it's the same stuff. We've been seeing this for seven years. Part of it is, part of it really is, ingrained in the program right now it's when you lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and and you do it the way that we are it just feels like you know it's just going to happen we got to get that offer back but you know that, that this was well norvell was brought in to change was was that kind of culture of 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 cleaning up those stupid mistakes and you know and i i kind of felt good about it the first couple games you know, I thought that, that we weren't playing stupid, just getting beat, like here and there, as far as penalties are concerned. But it's just, you're right, it was embarrassing last week. Like, how do you not, as a coach, go up and ask, what are we doing wrong here? Like, we need to know. And, yeah, Kyle Neves, you know, he, he had tweeted out that it, that it was the tackles. How is that not fixed? Honestly, it should have been fixed that drive right before mm-hmm. halftime where mm-hmm. Clay balled out and bailed us out on that, where we just kept on, it was a sack and then four in the backfield, four in the backfield. We're down to the two yard line. We had another one and then they declined it because it was like, you know, can't go back any further. Oh, that I, yeah. Yeah. That was another, another one that Clay threw an inter, uh, incompletion and they declined the penalty because, you know, no sense to keep giving us a down in a half a yard. It was that's that's when it should have been fixed. Norvell should have went out and asked him, "What are we doing wrong?" Obviously, they're looking for something specific. If we keep having it, but one of the things I was watching the receivers. Now I I, I coach receivers, and, and I'm God not trying to say I know anything compared. But one of the things I always told them is when you line up, check with the ref, check with the line judge, turn. I was watching in the second half. Tory was the only one that was doing it every time. Every time he'd walk up to the line, he would look over. 
everyone else just going up. I'm like, how are we not checking? This should be something that everybody should be looking for. And we're not. And it was just stupid. And every time we get a little momentum, again, you, you brought that interception. Fucking takes his helmet off. God, that's a that's that's something you should know again from Pop Warner. You cannot take your helmet off. Now, granted, his chin strap did come up, but the way he ripped it off wasn't wasn't that. He totally could have like slid it off and and showed him or whatever. And it wasn't that. Uh, it's just stupid things like that. And it, it's costing us. It's costing us. And yeah, when a San Jose State dude who could barely even talk who was that james jones is sitting there ripping us non-stop like god it's embarrassing it's embarrassing oh it was a comedy of errors bud the other thing that's just absolutely maddening and it just gives you ptsd from from adazio is this red zone business four, four visits to the red zone saturday night we came away with a single field goal and I was, had to laugh when I saw your tweet that we managed 0.75 points per trip into the red zone. I mean, we are dead last in the country in third down conversion percentage. There's been 116 third downs this year. We've gotten 22 first downs off of those, 19%. And then, then, you, add it, then you add in fourth down, and we're only 11 of 29. That's, that's 20 Most of them times. Are- Good. And, and a good percentage was on we actually did well on third down on Saturday. Yeah. That it boosted better. up our that boosted up our percentage. We went up and we're still laughing. <laughs> but then you add it, yeah, you, you add in there on fourth down. We've gone forward on 29 times, 29 times this year on fourth down. We failed on 18 of those. Um, so and those are that's that's a lot of times to not. I mean, those are basically those are turnovers. That's 18 turnovers yeah. on downs. Um, so and there's just too many times I, I question, look, this is a unique year and there's a lot of challenges as a play caller for Jay. <laughs> there's lack of execution. You have an offensive line that is just proven they can't, they can't move the pot. They can't protect the pocket. They can't actually they've done. Okay. Run, run blocking. But um, overall, when you need it, when you're in a, a shorter space in the red zone, they're not able to, to, to move the line of scrimmage and get those couple yards. But it is it is concerning to me some of the decision making, you know, where you forego chip shot field goals where you could really use those points, uh, and you instead go for it on fourth down. Um, you're just leaving points off the board. I know last year we just died with with the number of field goals that Adazio opted for, and we, we <laughs> I would were kill like, for those. It was the opposite, right? We were like, why we just just go for it, and but. Now we're like begging for field goals. We're just begging for points. And I, I feel like it's putting us behind the eight ball by just leaving free points off the board. You know, I, I, I brought it up after the Washington State game. We had five, five possessions inside scoring position where we came away with zero points. We, we had seven. I mean, yeah, one was a missed field goal. We, we had to get points. Two of them were forced turnovers where we had the ball inside the red zone against Washington state. We lost 41 to seven. So you could say whatever, you know, you look at the Hawaii game and we won, we had three trips inside the red zone where we didn't score on that game, you know, and, and I, I, and I know this cause you know, I was, I was there, but I, I was teaching a football unit at my school and I made the joke about 
the Broncos and CSU not able to score touchdowns, you know. And I said, we went for it three times where we didn't score, where we, if we kick field goals, that's nine points. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a freaking huge, especially in a game, a tight game. On, on Saturday night, we had first and goal inside the five twice, and we came away with three points. Now, that first time, we called a timeout on second down. We come out. We run a, a, like a kind of a delay run where Avery had to wait for our guard to pull to make that block. Dude, he hasn't shown that he can pull and make a block all season long. But now we're calling it on, on the fucking four-yard line. So Morrow gets blown up, so we lose yardage. That was our call out of a timeout. The next play, so it's, it's third, third and goal from the seven, I think, or eight. Call another timeout. So we pass to the flat tomorrow. Even if he caught it, he they, they were all over it. We... we those were our two calls off of timeouts and we didn't score. And to me, it just blows my mind. Then the second time we get in and that, that was the one we didn't score on the second down on second down clays out. It's a direct snap to, to Avery. I can't even, okay. I don't even, yeah. I don't even remember who was, who was in the backfield with him is another one of the backs tight set. San Jose State knew exactly what we were doing. There was a, there was no creativity to that. They knew exactly what was going to happen. And then the next two, when it should have been given to Avery on a handoff, pass, pass, not even close. Neither one of them was close. Zero points. Zero points when we could have taken the lead. Yeah, and, you know, I was listening. I went back and listened to some of the – the radio call and Ricky Brewer, he made a good, he made a good observation. Like Avery was gassed. Avery oh, yeah. was gassed in that situation there where uh, right out, right before they gave the, the wildcat call. Um, he was like, why, why not? Why don't you bring in some fresh legs there? The guy is on, you know, he is dying from, from the previous three plays that he had run. Um, he just had nothing left. And, you know, you're in a tight space. You just need that extra burst. And uh, he didn't have it, but there's. Well, then take him out for first and second down. Yeah. Okay. Try those pass plays on first and second. Give him the ball on third. Give him that breather. Let him come back in. Give him the ball on third and then try on fourth down. If he doesn't score on third. It like the play calling is just blowing my mind. Like, I just, I don't get it at all. At all. Well, and, and I think that this whole thing goes into my next point is I, I feel like I feel like we don't adjust our thinking at all. Yes, I know we've got this identity of this shotgun every play and, and air raid and, and when you have the ball, the one yard line, the two yard line, get under center, man. You pick up a yard. If you start four, four yards behind the line of scrimmage, you know, and our line gets blown up. <laughs> I mean, you're going to yeah. at, at worst you're going to lose yards at, at best, you're going to get maybe back to the line of scrimmage. And we, we just don't have the line that's allowing us to, to line up and shotgun and get yards, you know, in a short, in a tight space. Um, you I'll know, be honest with this one. I don't, I don't think quarterbacks are coming in knowing how to be under center. Like I think most, most quarterbacks in high school, like already are, everything is, is out of the shotgun. The, the snap from under center is, is a lost art. 
Yeah. And, I, and I don't think it's as easy as, yeah, just get under center, just get, get under center. I don't think that we have quarterbacks that know how to. I don't think we have centers that know how to snap anymore like that. Because it's it's a completely different motion where you're coming underneath. you got to hit that backside of your, of your butt almost to get it in their hands correctly as opposed to, you know, a shotgun, which we still can't figure that one out. <laughs> that, that's that's silly i mean you got to be able to you got to be able to line up under center in certain situations and that's an interesting observation and you may be right but you know when you're when you've got the ball at the one or two yard line i would like to take my chances going under center giving the ball tomorrow four times so yeah can you, can oh, I agree. In four tries or even a clay sneak you know why not no, I, I agree like, with you like what the hell <laughs> But we throw it twice. That that the time that we didn't score from the two yard line, we throw it twice. We run the wildcat, uh, and then Clay airmails it twice, right? Yeah. So 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 I think they gave it to Morrow the first handoff, and then the wildcat, and then Clay airmails it twice. So um, I just don't understand why you want to line up four yards back. Um, and you had mentioned the Hawaii game a minute ago. Uh, we had a very similar situation there where we had the ball three yard line and did not punch it in, in four tries. It's yep. God, it's, it's so frustrating. So, uh, and then you look at Millen. Yeah. I mean, we, we all know that sometimes he holds on the ball too long. He, he, he's a little slow on some of his reads. He makes also some incredible throws, but you know, there were plenty of times when it was not on his reads. It was not on him holding the ball too long. He got blown up. Uh, our, oh, yeah. O-line, our O-line is really struggling when it, when a defensive line stunts, you know, it's, it's, it's a lack of continuity on our offense. You gotta, it sounds like his defense is good. Their defensive front is, is solid. Uh, we had a, a freshman walk on at center and he's our best and he's our best lineman. I Keegan, think. Keegan Hamilton was, was solid. I, you know, I think that George Mickey Hunt has been good when he, when he yeah. was in there. Um, so, but he was hurt. He was hurt and couldn't play Saturday. So Keegan was in there, but I think there was a couple times when San Jose State didn't even bother disguising that they were bringing the house, and we line up or we even check out of max protection. Yeah, you, know, you move Avery Morrow out of the out of out of the backfield into the <laughs> slot, and then you don't adjust the play call after that. Like when you see ever they're bringing the house, and Clay just gets he has no chance. Absolutely lambasted as like a second after receiving the snap, he had no chance whatsoever. Uh, it's a it's a complete failure on all levels on the coaching. It's uh, on, on clay uh, on the offensive line and in the old line. I mean, we saw, we've seen some things improve, uh, but overall, I mean, this, is, this has got to be the worst offensive line that I've seen ever. And as a college football fan, um, again, you had a, a freshman walk on at center, but quite frankly, it wasn't even Keegan that was the problem. I mean, there's another guy or two that are getting whipped on the line. Um, and you had nine more. There were some of those sacks where our tackles, right tackle in particular, didn't even make contact with with the edge rusher, and and he's literally lined up fucking a yard a yard away from him, and by the time he stood up, the dude's past him. Kind of have to play the cards you're dealt, and everyone can say, oh well, he ran off for. Well, look, you know somebody's playing at Liberty and somebody's here. Whatever. That line sucked last year too. You can say mm-hmm. what you want. That is, we didn't recruit. Bobo didn't recruit. Adazio didn't develop. We're screwed as far as offensive linemen. 
and we're seeing it now. And but then change your play calling. You know, yeah, I I, I said this earlier in the year, like those quick seam routes where you just basically just fire, you know, catch the snap and fire to a point and, and hope that your receiver, your tight end runs underneath it. How did we, that's how we moved the ball last week. It's these where, where we're not doing that, where we're trying to let routes develop that we're just getting crushed on. And I don't get why our, our, our staff, I, I get it. You can't just keep running the same play over and over and over. It's not Madden. It's not NCAA EA sports. You know, I understand that, but you got to have, you got to have quick routes with this line. And, and I don't get why. And it's almost like we're gun shy going back to that middle Tennessee state game where we did run that quick, you know, that quick slants and kind of thought it should have been kind of bounced off him and, and, you know, it was pick six. So I, I, I don't, I don't know why we're not seeing more of that. I'm just, I'm just really baffled on, on the play calling. You know, I I talked about it after the Utah state game, you know, and I, and I got it, you know, that was what Giles Giles was, was playing that game. I'm just baffled. I mean, especially because this is, this is what Norvell and staff was brought in here for, you know, having an NFL caliber quarterback, tight ends, tight end receivers, in an experienced line like we like they had at Nevada last year hides a lot of stuff apparently because I mean I just I'm not seeing it right now on on the offensive side I'm just not we see a lot of pieces and if we had it and maybe if we had a better line it would be a completely different story I don't know what do you think about um the soccer flop that that defensive lineman had, or the, I'm sorry, the offensive lineman for San Jose State had when Cam Barreto was like probably four minutes left in the game, just under four minutes. And we're trying to get off the field and get the ball back for a potential game-winning drive. And I mean, the whistle had barely blown and Cam give Cam Barreto gives a little shove. And the guy just did like a delayed back flop. Um, granted, I, I want to pile on because I think that we just play so stupid, but I just thought I, I, I almost laughed. I was, I was so mad, but I, I, I almost laughed because it was so silly. The, 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 the way that the guy, the smart move. That. he sold it, man. And he, he was like, Oh, and he just like did this jump back flop uh, and they bought it and they, they bought it called a, called a unsportsmanlike conduct, kept a drive going. And, and um, obviously they ended up scoring later on that drive. But, I mean, that's that's another thing that's that's always taught. Whoever retaliates is the one that gets in trouble. I, I literally told a kid today, a second grade kid, they're in line getting ready to go back, and he tries to step on the girl's foot behind him. I see him. I tell him to stop, and he's like, "Well, she did it first. I was like, "But I saw you, dude. Don't don't push. Don't do it. Yeah. That's what it's it's. You always are the one that gets caught." And you're running back, you know, there's zero, there was zero reason to do that. Again, so many times that we could have just gotten off the field or gotten a first down and, and just being dumb, <laughs> just being dumb. And we get that penalty or <sighs> yeah. Daquan Jackson had one also. Uh, they actually didn't show it on TV. They never showed a replay or anything, but so I don't know how legit it was, but um, he had a roughing call in the third quarter uh it, that's that's undisciplined selfish mistake right there by a senior um 
you know, obviously we already talked about the seven pre-snap penalties and several mm-hmm. others that were declined. It's just absurd, dumb, lack of focus and discipline. Um, there's some of the other things that, that, you know, noticed in the game, obviously in the second half, Cordero, he started using his legs more. Um, they had a lot more success offensively. They moved him out of the pocket. He was able to get on track throwing the ball a little bit. Um, it was disappointing as good as our defense played. It was disappointed to, to let San Jose state open the second half, um, with the drive. It was 75 yards and nine plays. That was way too easy. Um, that was our first lead of the game. They went up 14, 10, um, obviously we talked about, well, we haven't talked about this, but it's been talked about on social media, the, the debacle of the clock management before the end of the first half that started again, giving me PTSD with, with Adazio, um, you know, Clay made a good, good, good play scrambled. Um, he was tackled with 13 seconds left and we just could not get the snap off before time expired. I know Jay Norvell said after the game, he, I mean, he was pissed. He, he's like, you're gonna have to ask the officials about that, but um, he thought they should have been able to snap the ball and said the officials weren't letting them. But I also thought we kind of got screwed there uh, because the previous play, I believe it was the previous play, there was a face mask penalty, um, which I think it was, it was, a, a, it was a couple plays before couple yeah. plays prior. So, so, but they ran clock there. I think it was like 47 seconds left after that play. Um, and then well, they ran the clock so- after they, we lined up again. And I, I it just, Next thing, we lost twenty something seconds there. Well, they they had two penalties. They had the roughing the passer, and then and then the the face mask, and the clock kept kept running. It, should, it, it like it should have been blown dead. But again, why isn't Norvell on him? Norvell should be in their ear about the play clock right there. That, yeah. Why is it running? That's right. something that they can fix. How I mean, they fixed it like three times in the second half where they did say, could the clock operator please put back Bro. such and such time? That that should have been one of those times. How that wasn't being communicated. You know why? Uh, is he, He's figuring out the next play, buddy. Yep, exactly. He, he's looking at his card. And, and this is the this is the thing we absolutely shredded Bobo about. And yep. and I, I remember thinking, all right, this guy's done it for five years at at Nevada, we, we, you know, I feel better about that. Right. But now we're seeing stuff happen here where he is, he's not seeing the big picture in games and he's, he's thinking about the next play. And that's, that was an example right there. And, and, and uh, then how, how, are, you know, and I, and I, I brought it up about Bobo. You go back to that uh, Nevada bowl game and you look is the same, who was it? Jordan Vaden yeah. who under McElwain in the bowl game, when we needed the clock to stop, caught it, got yards, got out of bounds, and we were able to, 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 to continue that drive when we needed time, where under Bobo, he caught it and kept running and got tackled, and we didn't have enough time to get off that final play. We ended up losing by, what, six or seven or whatever. We didn't have a chance to, to tie it or take the lead or whatever it was back then. This is the same thing. I'm like, when when I when I saw a clay take off, and I'm like, perfect, right down the center, mm-hmm. get up there, snap it, spike the ball. We have a shot for three, or you you said it. There's 13 seconds left. How was the whole team not up there? Now again, I, I, that might have been one that we needed to listen to because NBC <laughs> NBC Bay Area decided to show a replay right they they didn't show it yeah instead of what was what was going on on the field 
but how how is that not being told like as soon as right like they should just know that on every play is, is this one that we're gonna have to snap is this one that we're gonna have to or spike it is this one where we're gonna have to spike it and to to just have that when we needed those points so yeah so you, you said you mentioned that the offsides it was just a couple plays prior to that face mask that was yep. another baffling thing that um it was an offsetting penalty which is so crazy to me because you call on offsides on the defense. The guy has an unabated path to the quarterback, forcing Millen to throw the ball away so he doesn't get yeah. sacked. And then they call him they, – they flag him for intentional grounding. How does that make yep. sense? He was forced into making that throw by a guy that was offsides. It, it, it should by never be guy offsetting. that was offsides, right? <laughs> it, 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 that was annoying. I thought this the I thought this crew was terrible. Um, the crew was, was garbage. The crew I mean, was they terrible. Were bad. They were bad on both sides, though. Well, Honestly, that that uh, the roughing the passer shouldn't have been called on that on the. One oh, that, that was one. terrible too. Yep. You that know was there too. was there was a couple. I thought Horton got away with the, with the offensive pi. That was kind of a big play, you know. Well, Wakalanji could have probably uh, gotten called with the targeting. I mean, he did drop his head. I mean, yep. there was a couple couple strange calls. Um, but, you know, what? the other thing that just pissed me off is that this these guys could not make a call without huddling up and talking for 20 to 30 seconds yep. and announcing what the call. Like, even on, like, false starts or offsides, it was absurd. Yeah. They probably added an extra half an hour of the game just because they could not <laughs> just, just have the umpire come out or – uh, come out and just freaking make a call. It was, it was crazy. So um, a couple other points and, and we'll kind of wrap up football, but um, I, I really hate to bag on Patty Turner. I know a lot of people are, I, I know he's a good guy. Um, he's a very likable guy. He's a good representative of CSU. Um, he's obviously popular with his teammates. They're the ones who voted him a team captain. Um, coaches have talked about how important he is to the chemistry of the team. He keeps guys accountable he goes in and watches film as a punter, which, which Norvell kind of laughed at. So that's very unusual. Um, you know, even place kicker My, Michael Boyle said that Patty is a calming influence on field on field goals. Just he just kind of keeps everybody calm. He's the holder, right? Um, but he's struggling as a punter. I know you defend him a little bit, but you can't continue to have thirty yard punts. And you know, no. his average isn't great. He's averaging thirty six or around thirty eight for the year, thirty six on Saturday night. But it's more than just his average. It's like at inopportune times when you need to flip the field. Offense had a had a rough, you know, had a rough drive, and you really need to to change the field position. And he just, I, I can't think of one where he's really done it um, all year. And, and, it's, and it's baffling. Like I, like I've seen him. I've seen him in practice. I've seen him in. in yeah, he's got a leg. He can. He. I. I don't know if because again, he just started playing American football. Yeah. You know, this is something new for him. So I don't know if, if it's a mental thing. I don't know. Like we talked about it with the, uh, the Michigan game. Is it, is that how he's being coached? Like it is. I, I, I have zero clue. I don't, I don't get it at all. When, when he had actually a decent punt, it was a low one that he had. It was when he, he was backed up into the end zone. That was a pretty good punt. It was a low one. Got the bounce. They were offside. I'm like, decline it. Like that was his best punt. Decline it, and then yeah, next right. punt, 
We actually lost like two yards on We it. lost yards. I could not believe that they opted to kick it again. I just Yeah. <laughs> Um, He is he is struggling and and it sucks. I mean, everything that you said about him, you know, had a chance to talk to his dad. Uh, I want to say what homecoming, maybe it was after the Washington State game. Oh, the orange out game. He was there, had a chance to talk to him, you know, great family. He's you know, everything you said is is true. Yeah, he's just. And you're right, it is it is at the inopportune times when we get a three and out and we're, we're deep in our territory and he, he comes and, and he doesn't get it past the 50. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, what well, they can do. You, you said it, you know, they coaching him to do that. And, and I think the answer is yes. Um, I can't remember if it was Jay or if it was Tommy Perry, the special teams coach, it was on one of the, um, the coaches shows that they do on Wednesday nights. Um, one of those two said, Hey, th- this is, we're asking him to do a lot of complicated things, you know, with their scheme on the punts, with the way they roll out. Um, it's designed to not allow punt returns. Um, but I, may, Fucking, maybe, maybe they keep doing just it. Boot it. Yeah. You know? Sometimes you just got to, I agree, but I think, I think they're just, I think they want to live with the shorter punts because they're not giving up any big returns. They have had success there, but that's because every punt is so short. There's no, right. <laughs> we're right on the, we're right on the guy receiving the ball. But um, I, I, I just think that if it's, if it's complicated and it's not working well, maybe simplify what you're asking them to do, you know, give them a couple just to boot straight on and let him use his leg, get some, con- I, I don't know, man, but it's, it's. And I'll tell you, this, this goes back to what CJ was saying. Um, what was, it was after the, after we got that win against Nevada. What did he say? What did he say that coach Banks did? came in after getting our asses kicked the first four games of the season and he simplified everything. And that's the thing I don't see us doing on special teams. And I don't see us doing that on offense. No. Again, God, our offensive line cannot move. They need to stand up and put body on whoever's in front of them. And when you're having them having to to pull it, when you're trying to pull a guard, you're trying to have them change directions on their ski. Like, it's stupid. We can't do it. I don't know if we have the the athletic ability to to pull. <laughs> quite honestly, bro. Well, I mean, uh, you you know you're right, but fall down in front of some, the person in front of you. Hell, that will be better than some of the the plays where they're just running biased. Like, it, I don't get it. Again, that's why that's why I'm so high on Freddie. He's adjusting to his players, and we are finding success. I don't see us doing that on special teams, and I don't see us doing that on offense. Well, a couple other things that were really perturbing from the from the game. Uh, it's probably the last point I'll make is um, this was just a dagger, um, but yet your defense forces a third and 15. There's, what, two and a half minutes left in the game, something like that. We bring the blitz. Cordero, Cordero is running for his life. He makes a desperation heave. And Brandon Guzman gets beat for a 37-yard completion. It looked like a touchdown, but he was uh, down at the one-yard line. They scored on the next play. That's just sealed the game. But how does that even happen? Uh, just to get beat deep there, I, I just – I mean, you had a chance there. If you get a stop, you're getting the ball back. You're getting the ball back, and you have a chance to go for the game-winning drive. 
but we get torched for 37 yard completion on third and 15. It was just a dagger. Well, the, the touchdown to, to, to go up to 21, to, to take him to 21, 10. That was the same thing. thing. Yeah. It was another one that was just kind of a desperation and Blackburn is like, dude, he's running circles on that play. Yeah. yeah. He had no clue. Like, yeah. Um, I didn't think our DBs played that well on Saturday and, and surprising. I, I, I really didn't think our safeties were providing the help and maybe, maybe that was the, the, the scheme on it, but yeah, Guzman struggling. Yeah. Struggling. To, to say the least, uh, struggling. you know, the, their first touchdown was Cordero just running to the right, running for his life and then stopping and throwing completely across the field. I mean, it was inside the 10 yard line completely across the field and the receivers 10 yards away from our, our DB in his Guzman, not to pile on. Yeah. And he, and he's, you know, he's forced into action because of departures. Um, exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's yeah. There's been a couple of instances this year that, that have been rough, rough for him. But, but uh, you uh, know, on that, on that last play that you were talking about, Dude, smack his arms. 15 is better than seven. You yeah. know, 15 is better than seven, and he had that chance. But so did safety, I, 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 and I don't remember who who else was back there. But that was over two defenders. That wasn't just, just Guzman that was on that plate. Um, it wasn't even horrible coverage either, and what wasn't no, that. But it, was but it shouldn't have happened. It, it shouldn't have happened. Happen. Make a play there. You needed a play there. Give your, give your offense one last chance. Yep. Uh, that was frustrating. So now you got YO up next. They've won three straight. Got after that first game against uh, Illinois. They just looked so bad. Obviously, they've gone through some changes. Um, they got a new quarterback. Um, but they're six and three overall now after three wins. Uh, they're bowl eligible again. I, I, you know, I'm sure you agree, but winning this game would make this season a hell of a lot more pal- palatable. Um, sounds like Sonny oh, yeah. spoke to the team today about the importance of the border war, some of his experiences there. That's awesome. You got Clay Millen now who got taken out by his own offensive lineman, which was just like Keystone. Our best Cop, sack bro. of the night. It was, it was the biggest hit of the night. Uh, and I feel bad because this kid probably feels terrible. Sammy Norris um, yeah. was filling in for Dante Bivens, who had to leave the, the game a couple plays prior because of injury. Uh, and he's just, he actually was just hustling to try to find a block as Clay was scrambling. So he was, he's doing what he needed to do. And Clay just turned right in and we got just freaking pancaked. And unfortunately got a concussion, had to go to the tent and his night was over. That's when we saw Jackson Stratton come in, but man, if he can't go, if Clay can't go, that's going to be, that's going to be a blow in this game. It'd be nice to be, uh, have your starting quarterback go up against Wyoming in the border war. But, um, this is just kind of how things are going for CSU right now. Um, when you look I'm at say, like I, Wyoming, they struggled against Hawaii to beat them. So did we, you know, struggled against Utah state struggled against New Mexico. These are their last three. So they won three straight. This is our last three San Jose state boat raced them at home in, in Laramie at the beginning of October. Eh. New Mexico had the lead on them in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, that was – they're they're not this – they're not Josh Allen's Cowboys. You know, this is a team like 
we might lose by 40 against them on Saturday. We also might win by 10. So, I, you know, this is a, a quarterback who he can, he can run, right? He, he's, he's, uh, so I, I think you gotta, you gotta make him beat you through the air. I mean, they, they put up 400 yards against Hawaii last week on the ground. I mean, it's like air force type numbers and, yeah. and it's it, not only that, but Andrew Peasley, the, their quarterback, he had 95 of those and he completed only seven passes. He was seven of 15 for 76 yards. That's, that is, that's, it feels like air force, you know, you win a game completing seven passes, um, but you run for 400 yards on the ground. That's that, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. They had 341 against Utah state. Um, so you gotta, um, you're going to have to control this guy put a, put a spy on him or something and make him throw the ball, make him beat you through the air. And I'm sure that's what everyone's trying to do. But, um, Ohio's just, they've got a way of, of being able to run the ball. They've done it against us. They do it. They've done it for years, uh, under Craig bowl. Um, both, both teams have strong defenses. Ohio's only given up 19 points per game in mountain mountain West play. We've only given up 20. Uh, I think our defense will be ready to go. Um, so it's going to be, you know, I hope we're full strength. I hope you have Clay Millen and, and put your best foot forward and can't win that game. Well, I, I think I think our struggle is our our you know pass defense. I think we do a great job getting you know putting pressure on the on the quarterback. But again, I mean, we just talked about. It. I think I think they're able to find find that open receiver a lot too much. I think our strength defensively is their strength offensively. So I think, I think that's going to be a good matchup. Again, I, I, this is a game that I'm not, I don't, I'm, I, it's not like the Boise game. It's not like, no, you know, where, where we're I'm coming in. If like, we don't win, bud. I'm, I, this yeah. is a game we need to win at home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's so much doom and gloom and, and I get it. I understand that. Jesus. It's not, it's not hard to, <laughs> to be down on this team, but I'm seeing, we have pieces on this pro- in this program. We can win this game. We can win the next three. We can finish out the season winning the next three. We can also get boat raced in the next three. That's that's where this program is right now, and that's what I'm looking for. You you, you look at McElwain. We lost six straight, beat CU, and then we didn't even come close to winning the game. Our next next six, and then he won three of five after that. You know. If we if we see that improvement, we get a couple wins in these next three. I'm excited about next season. This this winning this game could right a lot of wrongs and make people yeah. make people happy. It, it will make it will lessen the blow of how bad this season has been. If you go win the bronze boot, you know obviously you still got the, the Air Force rivalry coming up as well. I mean, those are a couple of games we've all bitched about performance in in rivalry games this is where jay can make his mark you know you better lay it all on the line just like you did against nevada that uh, was jay's big rivalry game right yeah figure out something to beat this team you got to beat wyo this year I, I don't care what it takes Wyo's going to be a, a formidable opponent for us but you got to figure out how to win it because this is this is basically our bowl game bowl game's out of the picture now you better go win this one so yep It'll be a fun day. Uh, it's what mid forties, you know, not, not super warm, but at least it's not, uh, doesn't look like a lot of cold wind and, and snow precipitation. So we'll be able to go out and have a nice little pregame and, and hopefully the game is uh, tacos in a bag, tacos in a bag and, and Wyoming crime rib, AKA smoke baloney. Can't go wrong so, with that. <laughs> Can't. Yeah. 
couple last things here, Mike. So uh, I don't want to go too much into this um, yet just because we're running pretty damn long here. But rumors of San Diego State to the Pac-12, it almost seems like this has been imminent. Uh, nothing's announced yet. Uh, but uh, Dan Patrick had a tweet that he his sources are saying this is a done deal. It'll be announced this week. Yeah, this, is a, this is a program that's really on par with CSU. I, from what I – I always thought that they were kind of below us and the – the academics, but I think they're pretty, pretty even with CSU. Their football has been way better than ours over the last 10 years. Their basketball has been as well. They got great fan support in basketball, but their football fan support as good as they've been in football is not really better than, than ours. Um, I have a hard time. It's worse than ours. That that game on Saturday night was, I was, I was watching it. It was a third full. This was a chance in, in a I think whoever city. won this, but it was them and UNLV, whoever won that was going to have, was going to move up and, and to battle San Jose state for the, for the, whatever, uh, what the is it, the Pacific, the West, the West. Yeah. 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 For the West, you know, and it was a third full, there were that's way a, more empty seats. Brand new, in. beautiful stadium that they have not shown up for. The yeah, first game I believe in, they're not delivering the SoCal TV market either. No, so not at all. This is a sign no that the Pac-12 is desperate. They got to have some sort of presence, um, and they're going to be the the beneficiary of it. Now, you know? I've, I've been saying this for, I mean, kind of for months now. <laughs> the 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 next round of expansion is not going to be on football. We we've already hit that that point. There's honestly, there's no more pieces to 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 take for football. I think the big, the big tens going basketball. I think they're going KU, UNC, Duke and Stanford for that, for that last California team, I think. And that, and that's just going to do a whole chain of events. I think the sec is going to go, they want the whole thing. I think they're going Clemson, Miami, Florida state. And then they have everything from Oklahoma all the way to the, you know, to the East coast and the South. Yeah. And then I think that's where everything else with the ACC, big 10, big 12 pack, pack, whatever. I just don't see the pack 12 making that move right now. I, 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 I just don't, it's not going to be until the big 10 and the SEC make those last moves. And and then, and then we are going to see this, and, and you, you, we are going to see a San Diego State who honestly is, is football-wise, brings nothing to the conference. You could say, oh, they, well, they bring the SoCal. They're the only SoCal. They don't bring anything, you know, even, even with a decent team. You know, they're f- five and four right now. I think they held off UNLV. I stopped watching it with, like, a minute left, you know. I will um, say they probably have had better crowds than UCLA has this year. Yeah, Jesus. UCLA is just – Chaparral High School has. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, that's what that's why I think these these next moves – I mean, there was there was talk – Gonzaga's in – was talking to the yeah. Big Big 12, you know, and I and I think that's, what, that's what's going to happen. These next moves are going to be more basketball-wise, basketball-related. So, I still like CSU's chances – now, now, now it's 2 a.m. at Tang's. You know, these these conferences are just scanning. You know, what can I take home? Right. <laughs> what 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 am I gonna be able to take home? All all the 
all the cute girls have left an hour ago. Red leather dress girls already gone. God. <laughs> Tina from Tangs. <laughs> <laughs> Tina, if you're out there, we still remember you. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Lastly, finally get the hoop season started tonight. We don't have to go real deep in depth on this because that tip off is in like 20 minutes as of, as of when we're recording this. Um, and by the time people actually listen to this podcast, it'll be, it'll be the day after, but um, Gardner Webb, they're picked to finish fourth in the big South. Uh, they got a couple senior bigs who are going to be in the paint. Kareem Reed and a guy named Ludovic Dufial. I don't know. Uh, but Reed is a six foot nine, former four-star prospect had offers out of high school from uh, Rutgers, UConn, West Virginia, Houston, UMass, VCU, among others. Uh, he had late interest from powers like Georgia, Mizzou, Minnesota, South Carolina. Um, so we'll have our hands full inside. Patrick Cartier and James Moore's going to have to be physical. Uh, they got junior guards, Anthony Selden. Uh, he's got a couple uh, transfers in the backcourt as well. You know, they this is a team that starts their first seven games on the road. After our game tonight, uh, they play at Stephen F. Austin in a few days, and then they go to North Carolina. So they're coming into Moby probably feeling like we better collect some wins while we can. And uh, I think it's going to be a tougher game than maybe we're expecting. Uh, I'm sure Nico and staff will have them prepared. It's the first uh, game against Gardner-Webb since 20, uh, 2003. It's the second time in Fort Collins. We have a two and one series edge. We lost the first meeting in, in uh, North Carolina, which is where uh, Gardner Webb is. That was under the Dale Lair regime. But uh, I guess what um, anything in particular looking to see out of the new look Rams tonight? Yeah, I want to, really you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see what our, our point guard situation is going to look like. We got Tabby and Baylor Hebb. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see what, what they do. Not too worried about underneath. Like it is what it is. But yeah, you know, I'm 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 really excited to see them. Want to see how well Jalen Lake and uh, Rivera have have developed this offseason. You know, just hearing amazing things about um, John Tanjay. You know, sucks about it. Sucks about Strong. Was looking forward to seeing what he brought to the table. He's not suited up. Just saw that. It's not suited up tonight. But you know, we smoked Metro State. You know, hearing hearing rumors about the uh, secret scrimmage against Minnesota where we won, you know, we went into a, a Big Ten, you know, program and, and held our own. Some some accounts that we won by four. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just looking to see the future of CSU. You know, no, no David, no uh, Isaiah Stevens. I mean, obviously from an injury, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, for me, I want to see if T John Tanjay can be the guy. I mean, he looked like a beast in the scrimmage and, you know, the scrimmage on uh, homecoming. Um, it, and he just looks the part he's, he was dominant. Um, so he's going to have to be the guy, especially with Isaiah out. I was really looking forward to Josiah strong, um, seeing what he could do. Obviously we're gonna have to wait a little longer, but he's been slow to kind of acclimate to the system and, and this team due to missing a bunch of practices this fall. He's Apparently been, he's dad mono. So he's, yeah. he's recovering. That yeah. was what they thought it was. I don't know. Didn't know if that was really what he had. I know Steve Ivy alluded to that a little bit um, on our last call, but um, the other thing is obviously, like you said, Baylor Hebb and, 
and Tavy Jackson, can they be serviceable in Isaiah Stevens' role? Steve made a good point, you know, on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. We run a pretty complex offense, and you know, when you've got a senior guard in there that knows the system and and manages it not just adequately but thrives in it and, and makes the offense hum, that's a whole new thing to ask, uh, you know, a Baylor Heb or a, a freshman Tavy Jackson to to run the offense. So. It'll be interesting to see if we have to simplify what we do or if these guys are able to handle it. Um, so looking forward to seeing that. And obviously, like you said, Isaiah Rivera, he's got to step up. James Morris needs to step up. They need to just take it to a new level this year. And you need Patrick Cartier to be an immediate impact. I mean, he's going to get a lot of minutes. Um, he's going to he's going to he's going to have to be a guy inside that can, can give you some buckets inside and hopefully provide a presence in the paint defensively and in rebounding as well. So. A lot to lot to uh, watch tonight, and that's on uh, the Mount West Network. So I'll be be logging in here shortly, uh, and hopefully uh, getting this podcast sent out to all you pretty soon. But uh, Michael, good stuff tonight. A lot covered, a lot, a lot of ground. Yep, yep, it was great. It was great. It's been too long. Two weeks off. All right, let me pause real quick and talk about Ginger and Baker. This is a fantastic place, my favorite place. It's got two great restaurants, The Cash, which is a modern Colorado steakhouse offering steaks and chops, fine wine and good whiskey. The other is The Cafe, which features a new take on farm-to-table American comfort food classics. Ginger and Baker also features a coffee shop, bakery, event spaces, market, and a teaching kitchen. Hey, if you're looking for something new and fun for the holidays, why not book a private cooking class in the teaching kitchen? Perfect for holiday parties, family and friend gatherings, or even team building. Please support our friend Ginger Graham and treat yourself to a world-class experience at Ginger and Baker. All right, I'm pleased to welcome in CSU Athletic Director Joe Parker. Joe, thanks for joining us as always. How you been? Joel, I'm doing just fine on a Monday morning. Monday morning, coming yeah. off a tough football loss. Your spirits staying, staying up. Yeah, you, you have to be. You know, I mean, I, I think that's you know, I think sometimes fans don't get that, but when you're when you're in athletics and you're grinding through each and every day, week, month, uh, season, you know, you just got to stay positive, stay optimistic, keep the focus on the horizon. Um, because if you get if you get sucked down into the negativity of you know how you might be feeling about you know a particular day, it just it, it makes it harder to accomplish what you need to in that day to to make the advances to improve. I know before we started recording, you had made a comment that you've been pretty proud of fans and the way they've handled some of the adversity of the football season this year, um, and I, and I agree, it's been it's been. Much more pleasant to see for the most part on our message boards. I know that we have our moments uh, during tough losses. Um, and there's a few people that that fly off the handle and, and same with social media. But for the most part, the the fan base is kind of understanding that this is a, a rebuild and it's more of a rebuild than we thought. And uh, we're, we're basically starting from scratch. But uh, just, I guess, your thoughts on where we're at. I know the record is disappointing. I know that the mistakes and penalties and lack of offense that, you know, lack of putting up points anyway, uh, which was supposed to be the identity of this team. It's been a little tough, but is this, this is just a product of having such a thin young team, I guess. Is that what your take is? Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, you know, Jay onboarded December 7th of last year and he did a remarkable job in eight months of, of getting out in the community and really building a relationship with stakeholders. And, and I think that, that, you know, th those efforts are really what we're drawing on right now. Um, you know, I think fans have been 
certainly more reasonable than I've seen them in the past when we've had losses. Uh, I think their eye is on the horizon. They're taking a long-term view on this. Um, you know, certainly this season isn't, isn't uh, you know, from a win-loss perspective, has not been, um, you know, anything that we'd ever want to see in the future. But, but I think there's also people are recognizing week to week that there's development occurring within this team. And, and it is a young team. And it is a, a team that's been a bit depleted as far as numbers on the roster. Um, you know, I, I talked about this uh, uh, pregame uh, on the radio with with um, Marty and, and Ricky and San Jose. But we're, we're down to 60 scholarship players uh, because of injuries. We've only got 54 of those students that are available to play. Um, you know, the game before, um, <clears throat> when we played Boise, we, we had 12 walk-ons that, that played in that game. And I think three or four of those students started. So it's just, you know, it, it, this year looks different than we'll see any other year. You know, we'll, we'll get a chance to get into the recruiting marketplace and, and, uh, replenish numbers and, and find, you know, students that are really, um committed to the, the culture that's being built here by by coach norvell and you know the kids that are here are are locked in they're they're very focused um you know they're hungry to see improvement and they're hungry to see wins and, and i think that's why you saw them battle so hard at san jose it, it just you know and and you know we we saw offensive numbers that we haven't seen yet this season so that's that's a bright spot you know and the defense continues to play well and, uh, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully in the next three games, we put together a few really complete games and come out on top. You know, it'd be great to, great to see some wins before the end of the year. And, and that's the one thing that Jay's talked about is, you know, the second half of the season is so important because that's just where we've never been able to prove it um, in a long time here at CSU. So if we can so show some progress in these next three games, I think that gives us something to build upon as we move into the 2023 season. Yeah, and not, not only improving in the second half of the season, but uh, a couple of our remaining games are big rivalry games, not to mention this week against Wyoming for the border war. Um, this is something we've struggled in uh, as far as winning rivalry games over recent years. Uh, so hopefully, um, do you know, as, as Jay and staff done anything in particular to, I guess, impart the importance of this game and, and talking to former student athletes and bringing in people to, to meet with the team, anything unique this, this week? Uh, I don't know of anything specific that he has planned. You know, we do Ram walk every week. And so of course that'll be part of what happens Friday night before the game on Saturday. And, and I'm sure whoever the identified former students are, you know, that's going to be the, the baseline of their messaging is going to be all about the importance of, of, um, beating Wyoming in the border war and, and, and bringing the boot back to Fort Collins. Um, so it, it's, you know, he, 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 Jay understands rivalries. That's the one thing that you don't have to worry about him in that regard. And he's been really circling these games, um, you know, since he arrived and he knows the importance of it. He knows the league, he knows what Wyoming's all about. He knows what air force is all about. So, you know, he's going to, work really hard to make sure the staff has the students prepare the prepared to play these games. And, you know, from an attitude perspective to, a, you know, a scheming perspective as well. We got to win this game for John Hearn because I know how crushed <laughs> he was 
when he had the uh, the boot all refurbished last year and and had to see that thing go to the other side so uh i know he's dying to win this one as we all are so yeah yeah you know they're yeah absolutely you know john john was the the major force behind that you know he, he had kyle neves on our staff you know they both really teamed up to do a, a tremendous job and really getting that boot refurbished and and yeah, I, I trust that Wyoming is going to be, you know, reasonable stewards of it, but I would trust that we're going to care for it better than they would or mm -hmm. could because, you know, just the, the history that it came from our campus to begin with. So, um, yeah, it's important, you know, and I, and I think we're going to have, you know, great fan support. We can use more of it, you know, hopefully the students rally and circle this game as well and show up and, and uh, you know, are, are there to cheer and, and stay. You know, I, I think, you know, our, our student support has been really special this most of this year and you know we just got to get them conditioned to be in it for four quarters and uh, be a part of that because there's going to be points where you know they're going to be close games and we're going to need them in the fourth so that that'll be a big difference maker for us so might as well start on Saturday. I was curious to get your thoughts on the approach to rebuilding the program I know when you rebuild a program you're trying to change culture change in personnel and, and student athletes people are going to be moving in and out um, it's just part of the deal, but having as many players as we've had leave, um, you know, you've got so many young players now starting in this program. I understand that's probably what needed to be done to, to change the culture. Um, guys that weren't buying in just had to leave or guys that just felt it wasn't a fit. We don't necessarily want them if they're not bought in and wanting to be here, but is it kind of jive a little bit with, uh, or, or go against your, mission to serve student athletes when you see people maybe not having the experience that they wanted to have and, and they and they leave but to, to just to see the numbers does that kind of just stick with you a little bit as a administrator you know i mean at, at first there's a little bit of concern but then you start to understand it a little bit better and and you know everyone wants to fulfill be or feel fulfilled right you know by the experience and for whatever reason you know i think we're at um you know, since the start of the season, I think we're at 12, 13, 14 students that have decided that uh, they didn't want to be a part of it any longer. And and I've talked to a few of them and they don't, they don't have a real sound answer as to why, you know. Um, and and I, I think, you know, you, you football is a hard game. It is a difficult game to play. It's a difficult game to practice. And if you're not fully invested in that, you know, then then it's probably wise for you to make a decision to, to step away. And, and uh, you know, the transfer portal, I think, makes it easy for students to make that decision because, you know, it, it, it feels like there's an opportunity on the other side, although there's uncertainty when you make that choice. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I, don't, I don't spend a whole time, a lot of time, you know, reflecting on it or dissecting it. But I, I do know that you know, there hasn't been anyone complaining about the way that they've been treated in this program. I think it's fair and respectful and he set standards and expectations. And, and one of them is, is that, you know, you got to come with a certain level of internal motivation. If you're going to be a division one FBS football player, you know, you can't be talked into playing and practicing every day. You know, you've got to find it within yourself to figure out a way to improve incrementally. And I think that's been a part of the message. And I think that may have been something that you know, that, you know, certain students just decided that, you know what, I, I don't feel that motivation. So I, I need to, you know, um, 
you know, focus on other things in my life that might bring me more satisfaction and joy. So it's, you know, I, I know that with each one of these departures, it, it seems to me that the team and the locker room gets more cohesive, more locked in, more um, focused on what's ahead and how they need to prepare to, to be ready to play games and win games. Next year's recruiting class, we're probably going to have upwards of 30, 35 incoming student athletes, right? So does that mean in your mind that we could still be in a pretty serious rebuild still next year? Uh, you know, off seasons are really important. There's a ton of growth that happens there. Um, I think we've, 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 we're giving ourselves a really good chance to see uh, enough development take place in the off season. You know, the Jay and the assistant coaches can't be interfacing with the students as much as they would like just because of NCAA rules. But, um, you know, that's why your strength staff is so, so important. And I think Jay's got a group of guys that are totally locked in, understand what's necessary from a preparation perspective with uh, Jordan Simmons and and the staff that, that Jordan has assembled. Uh, Jeremy Copeland, who who's never coached a down of football in his life. But, you know, for those of you that aren't familiar with Jeremy, he's responsible for player personnel, player development. And he comes with a background of, I think, 22 years in the armed services, most of that time um, in the special forces as Green Beret. And if you talk about someone who knows how to build cohesive teams that, that uh, you know, the, the, the end goal there isn't just simply winning football games, but it's, you know, it's, it's winning the engagement and bringing people back alive. You know, I, I trust that those guys know what they're going to be doing the off season to complement what Jay's going to be teaching as it relates to football. So I, I think once we get everyone together and they start building, you know, the cohesive culture that has already started here, um, you know, we're going to, compete all 12 games of 2023 and uh, fight it out for each other. And, and we need the fans to, to do the same on our behalf. So it's, you know, I, I get, you know, you and I have talked about it. It's so funny when, when I say those things, you know, certain fans, you know, think that I'm, I don't know what they're thinking, but they have a reaction to that. But, but I, I honestly believe that, you know, if we're going to solve this, it's got to be a, a total team together effort. And that includes, Anyone who considers himself a CSU Ram and cares about the, the health and well-being of our athletic programs, but particularly football, you know, everyone needs to be locked in. Everyone needs to be committed. Everyone needs to be doing whatever they can to, to help the cause and the effort towards, towards that. You know, we want to be recognized as, as the uh, preeminent program in the Mountain West. And when we're doing that, we're likely to be recognized as the best program in the group of five. And, and then that creates all kinds of opportunities for us as a program and as a department. Well, we've talked about how history hasn't really been on CSU's side as far as fielding a consistent competitive program in its history, you know, is in football. Um, just really haven't been able to find any sustained success over the years outside of, you know, about 10 years with Sonny Lubick. And, um, but, you know, these days CSU has invested more money into facilities and coaching and infrastructure than ever and has been at or near the top of the mountain West and all of those things. 
and has been you know, what for for a little while now anyway. Um, but so why why has it just been so dang hard for us to get it going in football? Is it just no not one thing's related to another? It's just uh, a couple coaching things didn't work out. Is it just I don't know. I can't put my thumb on it, but it just seems really hard for us to get it going in football. Yeah, it you know it it's not easy to win. Um, you know, when you think about it, it, it is truly not easy to win. And there's been highly tradition programs that have lost their way for a period of time and they find it difficult to, to get their way back. You know, so when you look at our history, you know, 20, uh, 2002 is the last time that we won a Mountain West championship, you know, so every, every student that's out there uh, considering, you know, CSU as an opportunity, you know, they've never lived in a world where they've seen CSU have success in football. And that's one of the things I think recruits are really interested in is they want to win. Um, you know, so there's, there's nothing in our current history that would demonstrate to a, a student that's considering CSU that, that we've got that in our DNA. And so that's why I think it's going to take a unique, you know, couple of year push to, to get the right kids in place that understand that, um, you know, it's just not going to be handed to you, but you got to grind every day. We just simply, you know, we've lost that in our culture and our football program. And, and I really believe Jay and his staff are the, the group of men that are going to lead us forward, that are going to prove, um, prove to be able to, you know, manage this differently. And part of it too, is just, you know, maintaining continuity, you know, I, I mean, it's, you know, Mike had his time here and and put his heart into it with his staff. And Coach Adazio had had two uh, you know brief seasons with us. And you know, all of them did really good things. Um, just not enough of them to help us flip it and turn it. And you know, now we're at a point in time where we've just got to stick with Jay. But I mean, look, at, I mean, Jay Jay coached five years in this league at Nevada, which we all recognize is is a program that's you know, not resource like CSU. And he found a way to have success. You know, he found a way to, to build the program. You know, I talked to Tory Horton's dad this weekend. Uh, his father's name is Tim. And Tim said Tory's only division one FBS offer was from Nevada, from Jay Norvell. And, and look at what he's been able to do, you know, in the program under development, under the guidance and leadership of coach Norvell you know, he's emerged as, as one of the best receivers in the Mountain West. And, and, you know, similarly, you know, Avery, you know, uh, you know, I think his, he didn't have an autonomous five offer, you know, and, and he's probably, you know, very likely, you know, if, you know, I think he was injured his junior year. So, you know, he didn't have much film. So, you know, that's what it's going to take is Jay and his staff to, you know, keep guys on their board that, that are, you know, a little bit off the radar for A5s, but but certainly within a year or two can develop into, you know, key hallmark players. And I I, I trust that they're going to do that. And they, they did it in Nevada and they're going to do it here in an environment where, you know, we fortunately do have facilities and, and a fan base that that does respond when when they see success. So it's just a matter of time. And and, you know, it's not coming fast enough for any of us, but but we just got to keep grinding. Well, you have told us in the past, and I know that I've heard Coach Medved speak about it, and I think I, I think I just actually heard Jay say it on the post game not long ago either. Uh, but everyone's kind of convinced that going this high school route in recruiting is the best way to go. Not 
not relying on the transfer portal unless it's necessary or when it really makes sense, where there's a player that really makes sense to fit. Um, is that makes sense to me as far as the how you want to build a program? But is is part of that also potentially, you know, because it's going to be tough to compete for the right kind of guys in the portal with NIL and and what some of the big boys, so to speak, have to offer that we might not be able to offer as money wise. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, that's just the reality. Um, you know, we, um, you know, we've got NIL opportunities here at CSU, you know, in the bona fide NIL space where there's businesses that, you know, feel, um, you know, feel that it would be appropriate to align with a student athlete voice and, and their name, image and likeness to, to help build, you know, awareness for their businesses. You know, we're seeing it right now with, uh, some of our historic uh, partners in that space, um, in the you know financial services industry in particular, uh, and banking, and and uh, and that's great, and we applaud it, and we want to encourage that. Um, and we do have a, a, an emerging collective. Um, you know, we're really fortunate to have uh, a handful of people, but in particular, John Weber. I don't know if you've met John yet, but I have the, uh, the green and know, gold guard green and gold guard right you know so they've they've talked um you know a lot under john's leadership about you know how to create you know an offering here at csu that would provide you know an avenue for students to again uh earn nil opportunities through the collective and and but you're but you're right i mean we we don't you know we don't have a, a fan base that's responding in that way you know even you know, you look at highly tradition programs in the SEC and they, you know, they've got three or four people that are funding a collective at, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, ready to distribute money to roster members across not only football, but but other rosters. And and that's just not who we are. And so when you go to the transfer portal and there's, you know, you know, a, a proven talent there, you know, you're you're right. If if a student is looking for an opportunity to leverage their NIL earnings were probably not the place for them to consider. Uh, so for that reason, I think both Jay and, and Nico have really diagnosed that the high school market is a, is a little bit under recruited level uh, relative to where it has been in the past. So there's opportunities there for us to focus. Now, when we do that and we develop, you know, that talent, you know, there's a chance eventually that they may consider opportunities beyond CSU, but, but, you know, while they're here and while they're contributing, you know, hopefully they're helping us win games and put ourselves in a position to compete for championships. But the, the flip side of that, too, is, you know, I, I think that we can create a culture here and an environment here where students will be really hesitant to risk um, the uncertainty of the transfer portal, even for NIL dollars. Um, if you're happy, you're happy, right? I mean, if you're feeling fulfilled, you're fulfilled. If you're excited about working every day with your teammates, then, you know, the idea of, of sacrificing that and going into the portal and, um, you know, just for the uncertainty, will I feel as comfortable in the next place as I do here, I think eventually will create some hesitation for students. And so we just got to continue to create a great environment. And that includes filling our venues, you know, that includes people being there to support our students on game day and making it feel, uh, you know, really special. And, and in our case, 
you know, at Canvas Stadium, we only need 36,500 people there. We don't need 60,000. So, you know, we just need 36,500 committed souls who are there to cheer on the Rams. And when we talk about Moby Arena, we know, you know, we know it's 8,000 and we got a great start when we got an engaged student population that wants to be a part of it. Did something change with the portal this week? CBS did a little article about how the NCAA came out with something saying that the portal was, they're going to rescind some sort of arrangement with the portal. I, it didn't, it seems like everybody's really confused. Do you hear anything about that? Yeah, there's, there's, there's some clarification that, um, that, so I, I think I read what I think you saw, but, but, um, so the transformation committee, which we've talked about has been charged with, uh, working to modernize the, the the rules, the NCAA bylaws, and so they're they're kind of taking that and thoughtful, attempting to do that in thoughtful stages. Um, and one of the things that that we've recognized is that the transfer portal has not been healthy for the academic well-being of students. And the more times you enter the transfer portal, the more times you transfer, the less likely it is that you're going to graduate. Um, and so the, the transformation committee, you know, they can't prohibit transfers. And if we do, then that opens up antitrust litigation and that's not too much fun to battle in the court system. So they're trying to put a little bit of a pause on, on the transfer portal. So one of the things that they did in August was they, they're, they're making it a little more painful for schools to accept a transfer student in that if you take a 4-4 transfer, which means if you have a four-year student that's transferring to a four-year institution, um, you are responsible for their education until they exhaust eligibility. So that would mean that they're a counter on your roster. So they could show up on your campus in, in, a, in a day, in a week, whatever, they could quit the team and you're still responsible for paying for their scholarship until they exhaust eligibility. So if they came to you with two or three years, two or three years worth of eligibility remaining, then you've got to spend that scholarship. Um, and it's a you know it's a double hit because you got to pay for the scholarship, then you can't go and recruit another student uh, to fill to to fill that scholarship spot. You know, so football's got 85. So that's going to slow it down a little bit. But I think what you read last week was there was some confusion as to whether a student would be eligible for spring enrollment. And, and so that, that's what I think there was some clarification on guidance there that, that you could accept a spring enrollee um, and not have to wait until you know, the summer to get them involved and acclimated into your program. So, you know, and what, why that would have been difficult is it, you know, you, you know, a lot of those students, you know, in our case, all of our students that have quit the team, you know, we've carried their financial aid through the end of this fall semester, but we're not extending financial aid through the spring. So then they would have been, you know, a full, a full semester where they couldn't be uh, aligned, you know, with the university on an athletic scholarship and then, you know, practicing and competing with their future team through the spring. But I think there's been clarification on that right now. And that's what you read about last week. Uh, kind of shifting a little bit. Um, next year, we play at Hawaii on the road. Um, there's that clause that allows you to play a 13th game when you travel to Hawaii. Is that something we would look into? Maybe adding a 
kind of a winnable game in week zero or something like that um, prior to uh, starting the rest of our non-conference schedule? Uh, no plans to do that right now. I haven't really sat down to talk to Jay to see if that, you know, would be important, an important consideration. Um, yeah, so so no plans at this moment, but but you know we'll get a chance to sit down as the season draws to a close and and see if there's you know maybe that interest or opportunity. You know what we've discovered, especially when we host a week zero game, is that you know campus just isn't ready for it. You know students aren't back yet. It makes it hard to get um, you know all the people needed to staff game operations and. And when we've done that in the past, it's just it's created not a great experience for fans because we just haven't been able to put the numbers in place to manage, you know, the gates or concessions. Um, so it just it's just it's a challenge. I'm not sure I'm ready for that challenge. Yeah. Well, uh, don't love this one, but there have been some tweets or reports of San Diego State being invited to the Pac-12 as early as this week. Have you had any emergency Mountain West meetings pop up on your calendar that might indicate this is imminent? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I don't know. It's only one source, isn't it, that I've seen that mentioned? Yeah, I think it was. I think I saw a tweet by Dan Patrick. Um, but I, I mean, this has obviously been kind of rumored for a while as something that's likely. Um, so I don't know, if, you know, if this is really going to happen. But if it, I mean, do you, does the conference have you know, are they prepared for a scenario like this? Do they have, you know, contingency? What will we do if we lost a San Diego state? What would that mean, you know, to our TV contracts? Um, what would it mean towards, do we have to fill that spot? Is there some, do we have someone on a short list that we would target to, to fill uh, and replace someone like a San Diego state? Do you guys have all, do you guys talk about this as a board, not, not the board, but athletic directors and yeah, we have we haven't had any specific conversations around a departure of, of one particular program from the league, but you know we've had broad discussions about it. Um, you know it's hard to plan for those contingencies. You know it's one of those things where I think you just you know we'll, you know if that's if that's what develops over time, you just got to make the adjustment as best you can. Um, Certainly, there's opportunities to get other schools into the league. You know, if San Diego State were to leave, that's, you know, that's a, that's a, a you know, a strong brand for the Mountain West, a, a program that's had success in football. So that's not, that's not great. Um, but, but no, you know, hopefully it's just rumored. You know, I don't know what they would add to the Pac-12 right now, particularly when everyone's trying to find a way to maximize distribution for existing membership. Um, and, you know, I don't think San Diego State, if they're trying to replace what's been lost in the Southern California market, you know, not to not to diminish San Diego State's uh, position, um, but but that's not even close to what was offered by UCLA and SC. So I I would I could be wrong, but I would say that that's that's just churn in the media and, and probably not much truth to that. But I could be wrong. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough pill. I mean, granted, they've they've had great support in basketball. I mean, they've been a national brand in basketball, but football, as good as they've been over the last ten years, they it's not like they seem to move the needle as far as fan support. Um, 
I doubt that they've got great TV numbers. They don't, you know, it's not like they even fill their brand new stadium now. Um, so that's, that's a little, that's frustrating. Obviously it's a geographic thing, but man. Um, and then you have talk of Gonzaga again, being now targeted by the big 12 and pac 12. It would have been nice if we could have closed that deal a few years ago when, when kind of Craig let it slip that we were looking at Gonzaga. And then all of a sudden they, the West coast conference made their adjustments to the contract and gave some concessions to Gonzaga and make him stay. But yeah, it's a, it's a crazy world. This college athletics these days. Yeah. And that's, you know, there again, that's why, you know, we need everyone to be a part of this. If they have an interest in being a part of it, you know, the numbers matter, you know, engagement matters, you know, on social media platforms, on people watching, the content on TV, you know, I mean, uh, the schools that are getting a chance to advance or are in those discussions are the ones that are earning those opportunities. And, and I get it, you know, I mean, we've got to fix football. We've got to have football performing at a high level because that's a big part of it, but, but uh, it certainly makes conversations easier if you've got sold out venues and, and people are there each and every Saturday to support the program. And, and, you know, I mean, that, that'll probably, catch fire on Ram nation, I'm sure. But, um, you know, there, there's, you know, Texas tech, I came from Texas tech, their, their, their stadium, their venues are full, you know, and their football program hasn't been able to, you know, reach the levels of success that they want to see, you know, Iowa state, you know, is a perennial sold out venue and, you know, people will say, well, yeah, it's in Ames, Iowa, blah, 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 blah. There's not as much to do as around here. Well, you know, you, you got to figure out where you want to prioritize and where you want to put your commitments. My answer to that is, you know, I'm, I'm glad we live in Colorado because we can take advantage of all the things that are around us, you know, 359 days a year, just playing your football Saturdays around uh, CSU football. So, and, and do everything else you want to do in the mountains and otherwise, you know, in the days that, that we aren't hosting football here in Fort Collins. But Listen, it, it's uh, you know we're we're going to continue to grind. We're we're proud of who we are. We're excited about the support we do receive from our fans, and and uh, you know I think the best is yet to come. Well, we got hoops starting up tonight. Kick tip off against Gardner Webb. I know Coach Medved has been preaching that we're not just trying to survive with the losses of some of the key players over the last year, including David Roddy, obviously the NBA, and now Isaiah, Isaiah Stevens to injury. But he expects us to to thrive regardless of those. Um, is this a team that in your mind that can compete, hopefully if we get Isaiah back um, for, for conference play, but is that is a team that compete for the league title and, and challenge for another NCAA bid? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll know more. I think once we actually see them play and we'll know more once Isaiah is able to resume, you know, team activities and practice and competing but, but yeah, I think, you know, the one nice thing about, it, I think the way that, that uh, Nico and his staff have built the program is it's, it's not absolutely about any one player or any two players, but it's more of the, the system and, and unselfish basketball and relying on, you know, ball movement, you know, to create the offense and, and then playing, you know, just tenacious defense and, and you don't have to be an uberly talented team to, you know, to, to play and compete, you know, particularly on defense. So I think just the, what, what he's built as it relates to the culture of this program is what's going to carry us forward. And, um, and there's a lot of talent too. You know, there's a lot of kids that, that can, can score offensively. And, and uh, I think we'll, we'll match up well once we get into league play in particular. 
volleyball currently third in Mountain West standings and hosting the Mountain West tournament later this month. Does that put a lot of time and effort on your staff <laughs> to host this thing? Yeah, you know, we 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 earned the right to host because we were the conference champions from last year. You know, when they reinstituted the conference tournament, you know, it was with the intent to be neutral site and they had targeted uh you know the olympic training center and in the springs covid was kind of disruptive to to that hosting and we, we've never been able to get that back on track so then we had to plug it into campus sites and because we won last year we're hosting you know i i love the fact that we're hosting i i hate the fact that the tournament uh, maps over thanksgiving um because that just that does put you know another burden on our staff and and you know, I, I you know, we're we're going to manage it. We'll we'll do it appropriately, and our staff will step forward to make it happen. But but you know, you, you hit you hit the Thanksgiving week fall break, and you know you're going to do football. But you know, it's not always common that you've got uh, volleyball play on on Thanksgiving Day itself. So that that uh, you know, I just can't say how much I appreciate our staff, our event management staff, our communication staff, everyone who who uh, works to, to prop up and create a great game day experience because they're going to make some sacrifices that most people don't have to make, but that's, that's fine. That's, uh, that's who we are and that's why we do it. Well, you like to think that we'd have some home court advantage as well, but being right, right there on Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving, that also, who knows with, with um, how many people are going to turn out. So hopefully we do take advantage of that. Um, Mike wanted me to ask you this, of course, soccer didn't qualify for the Mount West tournament this year after making it for the first time last year, uh, did see it some improvement in, in a lot of areas, but gave up some late goals, left some needed points on the table. What's, um, what are your expectations for the spring and then next fall's regular season? Yeah, I think, I think Keely, you know, it, it was a tough year for her and her team and, and, um, you know, she felt that this year could feel a little bit more like a first year. And, you know, I think there was some bright spots in performance, uh, but what an unusual way to go through the year. I think we ended up having six ties um, in total across the, the whole record. And then there was a lot of games that we lost and it was only by one goal. Really, probably the only game that we really didn't feel like we were highly competitive in. Maybe two was K-State. I think we were uh, 03 and then and then Wyoming unfortunately being the last game of the season and hosted on campus we lost that uh, 04 to Wyoming who later ended up in the championship uh, game for the, the conference title and it, and also finished the regular season at three-way tie so it's um, you know Keely's gonna she's gonna go back to the drawing board and grind through the the off season you know I've got total confidence in what she's developing here uh, she's got the, definitely the right attitude and, and her staff is bringing it every day and, and the students are anxious to see success. And I think they're going to work really hard in the offseason to make next year special. Is the soccer and softball complex on schedule to be ready by spring? Uh, well, not everything will be completed by spring. Soft, softball will be ready by their start of their season. I'm looking out right now on the soccer complex and uh, they're almost ready to put the practice field back together. They removed the old artificial turf that was once football, took a bunch of the uh, fill material that was underneath the 
the field out and they've rebuilt it, refilled it in and uh, working on irrigation soon and and uh, and then laying the sod so that it'll grow. And then they'll come back in and they'll do a, a ton of work on the competition field and build a grandstand press box and team building and put field lighting up. But everything for softball should be ready, pretty much substantially complete by late December, early January. And that will include new new dugouts with restrooms, uh, new grandstand C, new press box, new netting system, uh, field lighting. Uh, so, so softball will be ready to go. And uh, we're excited to see both those facilities completed. And, and we've been able to really advance on a phase two of locker room projects in Moby. So that's, we've had three design meetings for for that and all of those are a direct result of the generosity from the Bohemian Foundation with the five million dollar gift that they made made so we pushed twenty percent of it a million dollars into the soccer softball contract to, or complex to to help um, you know make that budget more manageable and then the four million we're spending on the locker rooms and that'll be new locker rooms for soccer softball volleyball uh, two day locker room spaces one for men's programs and women's programs and so that would accommodate track and field, um, both golf programs and tennis. And those are needed because right now, if someone's working out at the Anderson Center or getting um, treatment sports men for those programs, they don't have anywhere to drop a change of clothes and, and do their workout, shower up and head off to class or whatever's next for them. So that'll be, uh, to when that, that South Corridor is finished, well, those locker room spaces I've just described are completed, that'll be it. A nice addition to the Moby complex. Yeah, it's amazing what you guys have done already in there with the basketball locker rooms. Can't wait to see the next phase here with these new facilities. Um, I guess uh, just a quick run through. You have women's basketball tomorrow night. Got an old rival coming to town, BYU. That's nice to see. Yep. Uh, cross country, a couple second place finishes at the Mountain West Championships. They're off to regionals this weekend. That is correct. Yeah. And swimming had their uh, only home meet last Saturday and beat Wyoming, and they have a dual meet uh, record that's 18 and 0 that stretches back to last season. So that's that's uh, great for that program. And so that was Senior Day. We got a chance to acknowledge and recognize our seniors in that program. So yeah, it it uh, it, it you know always something happened on the athletic campus, and appreciate you taking such great interest in it. And Mike's always always good for asking those questions about some of those programs that aren't as well recognized or, or, um, you know, and certainly, certainly football, football, football being soccer is one of those. So. Well, and golf's been, don't forget golf, golf's, golf's one of my favorites. So. Um, they, yeah. They yeah. The, you know, the women just, they, they want to turn out, out in Hawaii to end yeah. the fall season, their, their non-championship season and uh, men's golf, had three team titles and a and our uh, was a runner up finish yeah runner up finish and their final tournament so all those programs are are doing well and and uh, students are excited about what's ahead. Well, let's get a win on Saturday against. Uh, we gotta get that boot back. Let's go beat Wyoming. I hope to see you. You gonna be there, Joel? I will be there, Joe. You're bringing uh, thirty six thousand four hundred ninety nine of your best friends. We'll bring a few. We'll bring a few. <laughs> All right. We'll do our part. Sounds good. All right. All right thanks. Thanks as always. Thank All right. Good to see you. Yep.
All right. That was Joe Parker. Always appreciate him taking so much time once a month to, to chat with us and answer our silly questions, but uh, he's always gracious to do that. And appreciate y'all for listening. Appreciate Mike joining us earlier today. Um, and let's really do show up well on Saturday. Let's, you know, we're running out of football Saturdays. Let's go enjoy the day. Supposed to be in the forties. So not too, not too cold. And we, we owe Wyoming. We owe Wyoming a beat down. Let's go win that game. That would make us all feel a lot better this season getting that bronze beer back. So everybody have a great week. Go Rams.